Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you do, if you would find two places with me this evening. The first comes from Matthew, the 15th chapter. So we're going verse by verse to the book of Matthew. And Hebrews, the 11th chapter, a very uh, famous chapter. Uh, and tonight I want to talk to you about real faith changes everything. And you say, Jake, well, is, is there a thing as real faith and unreal faith? Well, I, or you should say not real, I guess. And I believe there is. Um, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that uh, faith is a gift, uh, but it's also something that you exercise. And so I've heard people say, well, faith is only a gift and it's only something that you do. And, and both of those answers are incorrect. Faith is a gift, but it is also something that you live out. And so tonight I want to talk to you about real authentic faith and how it changes everything. You say, well, what does that matter? Well, faith will transform the way you live your life. When you sat down from singing that last song, none of you turned your chair over and looked at who made it and what the weight capacity was, whether or not someone else heavy had sat in it this morning and cracked it. You just had the belief that that chair would do what it is supposed to do and so you what? You flopped down like you owned the place, didn't you? And, um, and you say, well, Jake, that's not faith. No, but that is beginning to trust. And faith is really believing that God is who he says he is. In Hebrews 11, the first through third verse, I want to read to you what the Bible says. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. That is the belief that God made everything out of nothing. That God spoke and everything came to be. And so it is this belief in who God is and what he does, and there does not have to be any logical explanation other than God said. It's that simple. That's exactly what it says here, that everything visible was made out of things that is invisible. And so tonight, as we begin to look at what real faith is, you and I have to understand a couple things. One, lost people do not understand real faith. You say, well, Jake, they can have faith in a lot of things. They have faith in the government. They've got faith in their employee. That's not real faith. Faith is believing that God's word changes everything, that it can create things, that it transforms things, that the word of God pierces who we are. The conviction of the Holy Spirit uses the word of God, right? That Jesus is the word. And so we believe all of these things because we live in a world and a day and a time when believing in him to the world make no sense. Why do you think that education has spent billions of dollars trying to convince you and I that God created nothing? Or if God did create something, he just helped things along that were already here. But yet the Bible says there in that verse, believing that the visible things came from the invisible. And so tonight as we begin this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 15, what God is asking you to do, what God is asking me to do, what God is asking us to do is to believe that God can, 
that God will, that God is able to do what he says he would. And so if you wouldn't stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's word, starting in verse 21, we're going to look at a woman and her faith. Matthew 15, verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Don't miss these verses. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Pray with me. Father, tonight I come, Lord, knowing that you can do what you want, when you want, and how you want. But Lord, we are to come asking and believing that you can, that you will. Father, I pray tonight that you would help me to explain your word accurately, faithfully. Lord, I pray that you give me unction from on high. And Father, I pray tonight you would help us to believe that you really are who you say that you are. So, Father, I pray tonight that you'd speak to hearts and lives, to this church, Lord, to those that don't know you, Lord, or whoever else is struggling with whatever it is, God. Pray that tonight would be the night that you would set them free. So, Father, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight I want to look at this passage of Scripture. And it's a passage of Scripture that naturally, like many passages of Scripture, have been taken by certain groups and twisted and been taught that if you just name something long enough and claim something long enough, you can have it. And then there are other groups of people that will take this passage of Scripture and say that there was no point for her asking because God was going to do it anyway. God had planned to do it anyway, and so he just strung her along. And I don't believe that either. I believe that this woman had a need and that God would heal her. But it makes it abundantly clear here that the reason he responded is because she came with great faith and a great urgency to continue to ask God on her daughter's behalf. And so tonight I want to show you three things, and I believe it's fitting for us, it's fitting for our church, and it is fitting for your situation tonight. And the first is this, real faith leads to action. Real faith leads to action. Let's read here in verses 21, 22, and 23. Then Jesus went out from there and departed. And the region that he went to was a region that had been judged by God. It was a region that the Jewish people looked down on, that they, they didn't think that it was good. They thought that it was a place of wickedness. It was a place that a good Jewish person wouldn't want to be. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from the region and cried out to him, 
saying, have mercy on me. Stop right there. So it is from a land that a good Jew wouldn't go. From a group of people that they wouldn't want to do anything with. And listen to what she says. O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon possessed. This woman is acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the one who is promised to Israel. He is who the Bible says that he is. Her faith was not in the miracle, but in the miracle worker. She recognized who Jesus was. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her, not a word. You see, this woman believed that God could change the situation. She believed that God was God in the flesh. She believed and had faith that him who was and is and will be is the one who spoke the visible from the invisible. You see, she believed it so much that she went to Jesus. She went and found him and where he was at. And if you have that passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, I want to show you some examples that real faith leads to action. You say, Pastor, I believe that God can save the lost. Are you praying and sharing the gospel? I believe that God will bless my financial generosity, like the Bible says. Then are you praying and are you giving? Well, I believe the Bible says that, that God will forgive those that, that forgive others. Then are you forgiving tonight? Faith leads to action. Look what it says in verse 23 of chapter 11. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's command. His mother and father believed that God could protect them. That God could provide them. That God could use their son. And so they defied the will of the king of Pharaoh. And they did what? They hid him. If they were afraid for their life, they would have turned their child over to be murdered. But they didn't. Tonight, parents believe that no matter how much Satan tries to get your children, how he tries to get your grandchildren, that God is able to save them. God is able to raise them up and to love him and care for him. But not only his parents, look in verse 24. Again, by faith, Moses, when he had become of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. He made a choice. He believed that being with God and God's people was better than being in a life of sin. And tonight I want you to know that this verse is a very clear example of why most people will never come to know Jesus. They refuse to deny the pleasure of sin. But you notice what it said there? The passing pleasure of sin. Sin might be pleasurable for a while, but it never lasts. You say, well, Jake, I don't know. I've been overeating for years. Look at me. This is what happens. Your knees hurt. Your back hurts. Your feet hurt. Your, your neck hurts all the time because of the multiple chins rolling up against your shirt. You know, you have blood pressure and, and heart problems and, and it, it, it adds up. You say, well, Jake, what about other sins? They might seem pleasurable for a season, but the pleasure will pass. 
The alcoholic thinks that his drunkenness and revelries of the day and friends last, but yet who is there when a drunk driver accident takes a child? Who's there when a marriage falls apart because drinking spends all of the money? Who is there when the children want nothing to do with their father because it turns him into a, a drunken abuser of his children? See, the passing of sin is pleasurable. And you say, Jake, my sin is different. I can control it. I can manage it. I can handle it. No, if you really have faith in Jesus Christ, tonight you will recognize that I need to change. The Spirit of God needs to change me. I need to flee from my sin and let it lead to action. But not only did faith lead Moses to change who he associated with, it changed where he lived. Look what it says there in verse 27. By faith he forsake Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Don't miss that. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should trust him. And I don't have verse 28 and 29, but verse 29 starts out by faith. You see, the faith that Moses had in the God of Israel, in the God that he had never seen, the God of the invisible, could care for the things that were visible. That he could care for Moses and his situation and the things that are going on. And so tonight I want to challenge you. I hear people talk about their great faith. I see Facebook posts all the time, which I'm not even on Facebook anymore, about people's faith and this and that. And faith that does not lead to action, the Bible says, is dead. It's useless. And so tonight I want to challenge you. Is your faith changing who you are? Is your faith changing how you pray? Does your faith change how you live? Does your faith change how you talk? Does your faith change how you believe? Because the faith is all based upon one person, and that is Jesus Christ. And that is his power and glory and majesty. Second thing I want to show you tonight is from this passage of Scripture, not only does real faith lead to action, real faith doesn't quit when things get difficult. Real faith does not quit when things get difficult. I believe chapter 15, verse 24 of the back book of Matthew is one of the most peculiar verses in the New Testament. It starts in verse 24. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, there are a lot of thoughts about this verse. Some people think that it's only in there because Matthew's gospel was to the Jews. Some people have said that it was only in there as an example. But I believe it was true to the mission of Jesus to first come to the Jewish people. And even though Jesus first came to the Jewish people, that he was willing to minister to whosoever called upon him. To whosoever came to him, he would minister. And so what he's doing here is he is giving her an example. He's giving her an opportunity to live out her faith. Most people, if Jesus, we're talking about the healer, the deliverer, the man who had walked on water, the man who had fed the thousands, says, no, not open for business, leave. Most people would just walk away. Think of how many times you've given up. Because you didn't get something when you first asked it from God. How many times have you quit because someone failed you, let you down? 
But yet real faith doesn't quit even when things get difficult. And so Jesus literally responds, I was not exempt to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and did what? She worshipped him. She worshipped him as who? Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, the Messiah. This woman had faith in him. Not in the miracles, not in the flash, not in the excitement. She didn't come because of just what God could do for her. She came because of who God was. But look what she says. Just three simple words. Lord, help me. The book of Romans talks about when you don't know how to pray. When you have no words to pray that the Holy Spirit of God utters to Jesus what you need. I do not believe that that teaches that you utter something that you don't know. I believe that it literally says in the text that when you are so overwhelmed in emotion, when you are so overwhelmed in heartbreak, when you are so overwhelmed that you do not know what to pray, and if you've never been there in your life, I can promise you it will come at some point. Whether it's death, whether it's loss, whether it's betrayal, it will come when you are in your prayer closet and you don't even know what to say, what to ask for. Usually I don't talk in my prayer time because I'm so angry. I'm afraid I'm going to ask for something that I really don't want God to do. But deep down, I really want God to do. But yet in those moments, the Spirit of God takes what is in our heart, what we are dealing with, what we are struggling with, and presents it to the Son who sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And so what we see here is a woman who just says, Lord, help me. I think that's interesting that when she started this conversation, she said, Jesus, my daughter is demon-possessed. She gave all the specifics, what she needed, exactly how she needed it. But after she is rejected by him first, it's what? Lord, help me. You ever got more desperate as your situation has went on? I know that in my prayer time, the more desperate I get, my prayer looks different. Right? I'll go from asking something. But then someone will call and say, Jake, hey, the doctor visit was terrible. Uh, they don't know what they can do. There's nothing they can do. My prayer goes from God, be with them as they go, to Lord, just do a miracle. And what we see here, I believe, is a woman who continues to ask even when it's difficult. Look what it says here in verse 26. Because she's worshiping him. She's asking him. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Many times people use this as a negative. But I want to read you what my Bible commentary says. Comparison to a Canaanite woman to a dog sounds like a racial slur to modern readers. But the word little dogs was a term that was used of endearment. It typically referred to house dogs that slept in their master's lap. Jesus' metaphorically statement merely implies that he had a higher obligation to serve his fellow Jews, not that he despised the Gentiles. The woman replied that Jesus not neglect the Jews by meeting Gentiles needs any more than children go hungry because crumbs that fall into their table are eaten by their pets. And so what Jesus is saying is that you would, most of us would take care of our children first and then if we can buy dog food, if then we can care for the, 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 the lesser of importance, then you would. It's kind of like when Jesus says that you have to love him 
more than mother and father. He doesn't literally teach that you are to hate your father and mother because that would be to break one of the Ten Commandments. He is saying you have to prefer him over anything else. And so what Jesus is teaching here is not that she is a a worthless dog. He's not talking down to her racially or anything like that. He is just saying that I have a purpose, and that is to present myself to the Jewish people. And when the Jewish people reject you, reject me, and then the Apostle Paul and his ministry as the Apostle to the Gentiles is the order that how things are going, but yet we see here that this woman says, I need Jesus. It's kind of like what the Bible says, that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. And this woman called upon Jesus. If you want to flip over there to Hebrews chapter 11 again with me, as we tie these two passages of Scripture together, starting in verse 6. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He literally says that you've got to come. And this woman comes. Not only does she come, but she believes. And she tells him, Son of God, help me. And then when Jesus says, I'm not going to help you, she continues, Lord, help me. She diligently seeks him. We see in verse 6 what it looks like to have real faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, don't miss this. Because in the very next verse in this chapter, it goes to Noah. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. So whether you believe it took Noah 80 years, 100 years, or 120 years from when God warned and said he was going to destroy them, can you imagine the difficulty, the challenge, the, the, the problems of building a, a, a giant boat before Milwaukee and before... Uh, 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 can't think of the one I've got. It's uh, but anyway, don't use it enough to matter. Apparently, uh, you know, but but before extension cords and and all of these things is and here he is. He's building this giant boat, and the world's never flooded. And depend on where you believe theologically, it had never rained. And so this this idea of the world being destroyed by flood and 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 eight people and some animals living in an ark, it would have been unbelievable. It would have been uh, unimaginable. And I don't know if you know this or not, but um, I've heard about is how are things going at Starry Night? How do things go at Starry Night? Anything that is big in a community is known about. One of my favorite jokes that I heard Matt tell was, why didn't Noah do much fishing when he was on the ark? He only had two worms. And so, you know, I know it wasn't good, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And so I appreciate that, Matt. And, uh, but... Uh, But literally, you think about this idea, and it's this idea that in verse 6, because right, it's context, it is impossible to please God without faith, but yet Moses had faith to build this boat and to withstand all that was going on and to preach righteousness and to be faithful for all of these years. And because of that, he pleased God. And not only that, he pleased God, but yet God saved his family. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we're not going to go over there, but in verse 20 and 21, it says that as Noah was built, 
that the patience of God was being exhibited. You see, Moses was trusting that God was going to bring judgment. But he was living in the patience and long-suffering of God. And the third and final thing tonight. Real faith leads to action. Real faith doesn't quit when things get difficult. And real faith leads to victory. Starting here in verse 27. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. When Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. <laughs> I want to show something here. In verse 27, when it starts, she literally says, Yes, Lord. That's in an agreement. She is in agreement with Jesus. And what was she in agreement with him about? That you shouldn't throw what was meant for the children to the dogs. She was saying, no, Lord, I agree with your plan. I agree with your purposes. <laughs> I agree with your mission. I agree with who you are and what you say. But. Not in the way that we use but. In that sense. But she was saying, but God, you're big enough. To not only to accomplish this. But to work in my life. This is what Jacob Gray believes. You can take it for what it's worth. I believe what she was saying is. As insignificant as I am. I'm from the wrong side of town. I'm from the wrong kind of people. In this day and age, the Jewish leaders would have said she's the wrong gender of person. God, you're still able. As little and as insignificant as the world view her, that she believed God cared for her. And I believe that. I believe the Bible talks about the faith like a child. Most of us, if we're honest tonight, have gotten so big for our britches that we think we can handle most everything. But God stretches our faith in the moments that we cannot fix. In the situations that we cannot handle. The Bible says that when we are weak, that is when he is working and moving. And so tonight I want to challenge you to do a couple things. One is to stay humble. No matter where you're from, what you've done, what you've accomplished, how big your bank account is, how famous the people that, that are around you tell you you are, you are just a sinner saved by grace. You say, Jake, I'm the best singer, I'm the best preacher, I'm the best giver. You are just a sinner saved by grace. But tonight I do not want you to believe the lie that God doesn't care about you. Because we have a generation of people who have grown up believing the lies of Satan. That they don't matter. That they're too bad. They don't have enough to offer God. But yet this woman was just saying, you are enough, Lord. She believed that the invisible was able to care for the visible. And I want to just read that verse 28 because it's one of my favorite in this chapter. This Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, 
great is your faith. Let it be you as you desire. And his daughter was healed from that very hour. Now this is not something we talk about. But as this happened, do you ever wonder if she believed it? It, it does. Jesus says it. Let it be to you as you desire. But I'm guessing the dad didn't call her on her Verizon cell phone and say, she's healed! I'm guessing she didn't get a text message with smiley faces at the end of it. She's healed. She probably didn't even get a Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever else is out there that her daughter's healed. But from what I gather from this woman and her faith, I'm guessing when she left, she believed that it happened. Now, I don't know how she left that meeting with Jesus, but I'm sure it probably wasn't like this. Yep, daughter's healed. Can't wait to get home. Boy, I tell you what, sure is a long walk being called a dog today, you know. I can just imagine. And this is just my sanctified imagination. You can disagree with me if you want. That's okay. I don't care. If Jesus just told me that I wanted my daughter to be healed from being demon-possessed. I've never been demon-possessed. Some people have thought I was demon-possessed. I don't believe I was. But I was just sinfully infested, that's for sure. And I believe what the Bible talks about being demon-possessed. And what's that like for people? If one of my daughters had been set free. Oh, I'm telling you, I'm fat. But I had to take off running. I'd have ran as fast as I can, as far as I can, as hard as I could. I'd have hit that door as hard as I could have, and I would have been looking that my child that had no hope had hope. My child that might have had to been chained up. The Bible talks about demon-possessed people having to be chained up because they would throw themselves in the fire. <laughs> but yet Jesus said she was well. And I'm going to go home living that way. I'm running home believing it. You see, many times we believe the promises of God. But yet the example that we live from that is nothing. Tonight, if you believe and know that Jesus Christ has saved you from your sin, you need to live in the joy of your salvation. You need to quit allowing Satan to bring up the guilt and shame of your past and believe that when God forgave you, he forgave you. When God washed your sins as white as snow, that he did. You see, people are always going to bring up your past. People are always going to remember who you were and what you did and why you did it and all these things. But if Jesus does not, as the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, as far as the ground is from the heavens, then I'm going to believe that God said, I am forgiven. You might bring it up, you might share it, you might whisper it, but one of these days when I get to heaven, it's not going to matter. As a church, we have to believe that, that God can work and move in the situations that we face, in the difficulties that we face, in the challenges that we face, in the opportunities that we face, that God will give us the faith that we need, and he asks us to exercise that faith in obedience to him. So tonight if you're here and you're lost. This is what the Bible teaches. That you cannot be saved any other way. Than putting your faith and trust. In Jesus Christ. 
That means tonight your faith can't be in a preacher. It can't be in a church. It can't be in your baptism. It can't be in the Lord's Supper. It has to be that Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins. That he was buried in a tomb. And that he was literally dead. And that three days later he arose from the dead. And conquered sin and the death. And the Bible says you can't just acknowledge it. It doesn't just say that you understand it. It says that by faith you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Doesn't matter about your neighbors or someone else's. You have to believe that he died for your sins. That he took your punishment, your shame, and your guilt. And that tonight when you ask him to forgive you, he can make it washed all away. That he can bring you into his family. That he writes your name down in the Lamb's book of life. And that promise is to you. Tonight as a Christian. If you are already saved. I want to challenge the idea that you have faith. I want you just for a moment here in a minute. To think about how am I living a life that is based on faith. What areas of my life do I not believe that God can handle. That I don't believe that God can care for. That I don't believe that God can work. One of my favorite things about this passage of scripture is what this woman literally says is, I would rather have the crumbs from Jesus' table than all the world has to offer. And the longer I live for the Lord, it is true. I would rather have what seems to be the crumbs from Jesus than all that this world has to offer. This world has things to offer that they tell you will fix your problems, fix your marriage, bring you joy and peace and happiness. The world teaches you that there is pleasure and fun in every area of life. Be it what I have figured out is that this book is enough. The God of this book is enough. And there are things that the world does not value that they look at as crumbs that God promises to give us. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Joy unspeakable. The idea that I have confidence knowing that I don't deserve to go to heaven. And that if I had to keep myself saved, I'd have lost my salvation a long time ago. But God promised to put me in the palm of his hand. And he promised in the book of Romans that what could separate me from his love? Nothing. Not heights, not debt, nothing. And so I can lay my head on the pillow every night knowing, Lord, I'm not perfect. Lord, I need forgiveness. But Lord, if I should not wake in the morning, I know where I will be. And I pray that my faith is on display enough for my children for yes, they will be sad, but that they will believe that their dad has received the reward that God has promised to him. You see, I've preached a lot of funerals, and a lot of families think their loved ones are in heaven. And I'll ask them, did they have a profession of faith? Do you remember when they said they were saved, when they were born again? Well, I don't know. They never told you about their salvation. They never told you about what happened when God saved them. They never talked about their relationship with Jesus. No, they had a private faith. 
Friends, if your own children don't know your salvation story, you have in desperately need to share it with them. I get Gary Brawley's Sunday school class, and I believe I could share his testimony now after listening to it over and over and over again. I think I could recite it by heart. But one of these days, if, if he goes before I go and I get the privilege of preaching his funeral, I'm going to be able to stand up and tell his family and his friends and you that on a day in December, if I'm not right, am I correct or am I wrong? 1986, I was one year old. Is that right or 96? 96, I ain't got my glasses on. Monica drove separate. And he stayed and talked to Mark Lee. But when he walked through the door, she knew something was different. Did I tell that right? Somewhat right? Feed around the bush a little bit. Why? Because Jesus met him on that day. I can even tell you that Claude Walker went to visit him and talked about where he'd be in heaven or would he be in hell. And my question to you tonight is, do the people that you love the most know how Jesus changed you? The faith that you have. Or am I going to have to stand up here one day and say, well, I think they were. They might have been. They didn't act like it. But I think they had it buried deep, 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 deep down in there. Now, I want the faith that God has given me to be on display. Not because of who I am or what I've done. Because what God has given me. You know, I just recently put my wedding ring back on. It's not because I lost weight. It's just because I've just realized that I'm going to have to put it on there or my wife's going to kill me, okay? So when I have a dead finger here before long, you're going to know why. And this doesn't apply to my wife because she's now lost two wedding rings. But that's not the point here, okay? <laughs> Our children have lost two wedding rings. When you put a ring on a woman's finger and her friends see it for the first time, what happens? Oh, it's so beautiful, so big. And they run around like this. You don't see men doing that. Look at that, baby. Look at that. That's, a, that's the gift that keeps on giving right there. No, it was a gift that they want to what? Show off. And friends, if salvation is really the gift that you say it is to you, you better show it off. You say, well, what does it mean to show off my faith? It means that I am wicked and sinful and hopeless, but God loved me so much that he saved me from my sin. Pray with me tonight as you stand. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray tonight that you would be convicting and dealing with hearts. For anyone in this place, Lord, that's lost. Lord, I know in a crowd this side, there are people that don't know you. And tonight, Lord, I pray that you'd give them the faith to step out and come and trust you. Father, for this congregation, I pray that you'd help us to know what your will and purposes are for this church going forward. To have real faith believe your vision and leadership and direction for this church and help us to live out that faith. Father, I just pray for so many hurting and broken people that tonight, Lord, you'd help them to keep believing, keep praying, keep seeking you diligently as you are working in their lives. Father, I pray that you'd make this church a lighthouse on the hill for lost and dying people, for the hurting and the broken, and God, that you would do great and mighty things for your glory and your glory alone. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.